You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. On today's show brought to you by Locker Room, changing the way that we talk about sports. We're joined by Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter and host of the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. We're going to break down how do you evaluate NBA draft prospects and talk about what Richard as an unbiased source is seeing from this Thunder team and which young players that he's in love with and which young players that maybe he views are overhyped. But let's start with Richard. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Excited to have you. Of course, Richard, you and, and Lockton NBA draft are going to be a great resource for Thunder fans because <laughs> it is it is time to turn your attention fully uh, to this year's NBA draft class. Yeah, it's uh, it's about that time, especially in Oklahoma City, where I mean, half the team is from the Oklahoma City Blue, um, so I, it's uh, it's about that time. Yeah, to start looking forward to the next draft class. So I guess I just want to have this episode serve as a template for Thunder fans because we've been fortunate enough in Oklahoma City uh, to not really have to care about the NBA draft at all for the most part. I mean, you might start caring towards, you know, June, whenever the team's eliminated from the playoffs. And then you start looking at, Oh, who might go in, in the 20th overall pick. But, but for the first time in a long, long time, for the first time since that first year in Oklahoma city, uh, fans are now scouring the, the draft for picks in the top five, hopefully, and then picks in, in the tens or picks in the twenties. And then all those second round picks as well to where, we have a wide arrangement of draft picks to worry about in Oklahoma City. So it, for the first time, it, it just has a lot of attention on it and wanting to do a ton more draft prep for fans out there. So first of all, how did you get started in loving the draft and scouting the draft? Because I think that this rebuild is going to spark a ton of more Thunder fans to get more invested and more interested in doing some of their own draft scouting and evaluating prospects on their own and, and getting more in love with the process of the draft. So how did it start for you? Yeah, so uh, as you can imagine, being a Mavs fan, it, it's kind of weird being a draft person. But actually, you know, I'm, I'm also a Magic fan, born in Orlando, and uh, kept the Magic when I moved here. Um, in 2004, the Magic had the number one pick for Dwight Howard. And that whole year, I, like the year before, I remembered, you know, the, the infamous or I guess the famous LeBron, Carmelo, D. Wade, Darvin Milicic, and, you know, Chris Bosh draft. And then after that, I was pretty interested because like right away, everybody and their mother knew LeBron was LeBron. And I wanted to kind of just, it was so cool that people knew about him before the NBA to me. I was also a little kid, but um, I thought it was really neat. So in 2003, four, I I watched, you know, some Dwight Howard stuff and I was so excited for the draft, just kind of watched it play out. And by like 2006, I was doing my own research. I was like 12 or 13 and um, I was young doing it and I've just kept up with the draft every year since. And, and in 2017, I, I wrote about Donovan Mitchell being like the perfect fit for the Mavs as a cornerstone in a rebuild. And, uh, the Mavs did not listen to me. Luckily it kind of worked out, I guess. Um, but yeah, I just kind of been obsessed with the idea of seeing, you know, the talent before it gets there is always really cool to me. 
So where, where do you start at in your, in your evaluations? And if you were a novice at this and you were just starting this year, what would be your first step in trying to evaluate scouts and, and what tools do you use and just how do you even start that process? Yeah. So most people, like what I do is more advanced and it's harder. Uh, honestly, I start from the ground up. I don't really watch. I'm not big with high school. I know a lot of people do some background research. I'll watch like some YouTube videos just to like, you know, their highlights just to kind of see what their shot looks like. That's usually what I look for that in athleticism um, because most of those mixed stages just doesn't actually translate to college. But uh, the best way I think as an intro level to most of these guys, so at least give you like some basic background, um, there's two ways and one's a more modern, newer way, but the old fashioned way is go to YouTube, find a good draft channel. I mean, Raphael, who also hosts, um, NBA draft, I'm locked on NBA draft has his own channel, NBA draft junk junkies does an incredible job of breaking down the guys, uh, pros and cons and everything really thorough details, uh, videos in there. And then the other way is to search on Twitter. If you type in any player pretty much now have, will be able to result you'll get any result. Like if you typed in like, I don't know, Nishan Highland from VCU, who's a borderline first, second round guy. And you, and you go to videos on there, you'll find a ton. And then you add draft and you can get people who have draft in their name, things like that. It really helps uh, getting started on that. But the other tools I use, I use synergy. Uh, that's for full games. That's really how I start ground up. And it's super helpful. You have an entire library of every game pretty much played in the last like 14 years. So whenever you're evaluating these prospects, you start with the synergy and go from the ground up. So are you saying that you you work your way up in your draft board or you just start with a prospect in general? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I start with just uh, like usually the way I do it is I don't watch college basketball live. So I'll watch these games on demand. I see more that way. I'm able to, you know, tell afterwards I can pause. I can see I can go back. I think live is pretty hard to scout for because you just miss so much going on, especially in games where like, if you watch Tennessee, right, they have three NBA, four NBA prospects on that team. You're going to miss something. You, if you watch every possession, you have to rewatch to just see everything. Um, so things like that really help. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't watch it live. So what I'll do is I'll go to ESPN, watch the box, see the box scores. And if anything stands out from there, uh, like if someone has two points on one of four shooting, I'm probably not going to, that's not going to be my top game right away. Um, especially if I'm trying to get into seeing what somebody's like, generally I'll start with their, you know, if it's a terrible game, I like seeing what's in there. And if it's a good game, I like seeing what can stay, you know, what can stick, what, what's kind of fake in there. If that makes sense. Does, does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. I've got you now. You mentioned and, the box score. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, so you mentioned the box score. What? What stats do you look for whenever you're scouting? Because I think that there's a good balance of the eye test and then also stats. And what stats have you noticed throughout your, your time doing this from college closely translate to their NBA numbers? And what stats are, are more so like, wow, they were really good at this in college, but it's not translate. And typically whenever these guys put up this stat, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do that in the NBA. Like what, what stats are valuable and kind of not so valuable if you have some stats like that? Right. Yeah. So the first one, I mean, the number one thing that translates more than any other stat is rebounding. That's about as one to one uh, from college to NBA, especially with the NBA not contesting rebounds as much as college. I think that's a big reason why. Uh, but what I look for is the main things I look for are points, field goals, attempts and efficiency with that and turnovers. That's generally what I'll look at because that's that identifies mistakes and and just makes misses and just can kind of tell from there. Um 
but the stats that I see that translate, I use hoopmath.com. They have stats that show the finishing at the rim. I think that's an unbelievably important stat that generally translates. And if you combine that with three point shooting the last year, I mean, the guys, I, I wish I had the list pulled up, but I remember Tyrese Halliburton was up there. Uh, Elijah Hughes, who I was really high on, they both had 40% from three and 70 plus percent from at the rim, which both are elite numbers for their category. If you're above 60 to 65, generally as a non-big, you're a pretty good finisher. Um, anywhere in the fifties is kind of a swing skill. And then the other stat I look at is free throw percentage. If you're looking for shooter, there's a lot of guys who they can hit threes. I mean, it, you can make a three, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to hit it in the NBA. So free throw percentage is a way to find if the three point percentage is an outlier or even vice versa. And that's kind of why a guy who I'm lower on than a lot of people is Davion Mitchell, because he shot 45% from three this year. And it was the first year he shot over 33% from three. Uh, in his three years of college. And he shot, I think, 65%, give or take, every single year in college at the line. So it's just kind of hard to tell that it translates or not. And free throw percentage has been a better indicator than three-point percentage um, for three-point shooting. That's far and away the most important shooting stat, I think, is free throw percentage. That leads us right into perfectly my next question about how do you balance the, the past and the present? I mean, this can go back to high school and it can go back to, as you give that great example of, even in colleges, you see from their freshman to sophomore, you make a big jump in one area or sophomore to junior year. And how do you balance taking what they've previously done with what they're going to do most recently towards their NBA draft? And for me, my biggest, my biggest problem uh, whenever I'm evaluating guys is I give them too much credit for their high school and for what they were supposed to be entering college for a guy like BJ Boston, who was supposed to be this amazing yep prospect, for example. And I blame the colleges and the college systems, especially after working within college programs and seeing uh, up close and personal how college coaches are. I blame colleges for bad performances in, in college more so than the actual player a lot of the times, which at, at times burns you and at times makes you look brilliant. But that's kind of my bias of how I balance past and present. How do you balance past and present with these performances where you could see a guy just have an outlier year and trying to temper that expectation of the outlier year right before the NBA draft. But first, I'm going to tell you about good friends over at Locker Room. Locker Room is changing the way that we talk about sports. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room, the very first social audio platform made only for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time with your favorite team or sport. I will be hosting rooms for Locker Room Locked on Thunder once a week, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to right here every day. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the biggest news or rumors. You will have a chance to chat with me and might even have a chance to appear on this very podcast, Locked on Thunder, throughout our Locker Room conversations. So be sure to join me this week, Thursday, 11 a.m., I'll be hosting a room this week, again, Thursday, 11 a.m. Central Time. Whenever you go to the Locker Room app, download it right now. It's free, so go download it. Currently on all iOS devices, be sure to create your profile, link your Twitter account, join the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA groups for the latest league updates. Follow me on Locker Room at Ryland underscore Styles to be notified every single time I go live. I know you will not want to miss it. I'm planning to go live again this week, Thursday, 11 a.m., I cannot wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Thunder. See you there. 
Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving you auto parts online for 20 years. That's right, 20 years ago. You probably could not navigate the internet properly, but you could have been going to rockauto.com for all the parts your car will ever need, and they're reliably low prices. They're fantastic. Rockauto.com. I know nothing about cars. Nothing. I know how to drive them. I know how to fill up the gas tank. That is it. That is truly it. But the kicker is I don't have to know anything about cars because at rockauto.com, all I have to do is put my make, my model, my year into their database, and they're only going to show me car parts that are compatible with my vehicle. That way, I'm not wasting time or money on parts I cannot use, parts I do not need. So go to rockauto.com. Use their easy-to-navigate website to find all the parts that your car will ever need. They have an amazing selection. Check them out today. Whenever you go to rockauto.com, tell them Lockdown sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us box, and they'll know what to do from there. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. And check out the Lockdown Today podcast, getting you set with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcast from. Yeah, so I mean, kind of like you said, the the college performance is hard to tell because a lot of times the teams do it. For example, I mean, I was, I was tweeting about this uh, on Monday that there's a guy in Texas who I think is the biggest sleeper in the draft. Probably his name is Jericho Sims, four-year guy. He posted up almost, that was what Texas ran for him, but he's not a post player. So, and he was horrible at it. So it really did him just no help to be doing all these things he's bad at. And he'll never do it in the NBA. He's a pick and roll guy. Um, so things like that happen way too often with, especially with big men, they're often, you know, the most misused players in the, in the country. Um, but I think balancing past and present, I personally, like I said, I'm not big with high school just because everyone's a superstar that goes to college in high school. And, you know, unless you play against elite competition, it's really hard to take most of that film uh, seriously for me, just in terms of NBA draft scouting, you can use it more for what they'll do with college. I think that's useful, but to the NBA, I don't know. I, I personally think college scouting has more value and the thing I like using is if a guy's known as a good finisher, right? How does he finish against guys who have length? So you kind of have to know the the game and who the people are uh, that they're going against. Like, I remember the thing that uh, – I forget who it was in 2018. There was – it might have been Lonnie Walker uh, where he went against – I would watch his games versus Louisville to see how he finished at the rim. And he went against this guy, Anas Mumad, from Louisville, who had like a 7-4 wingspan and like – in. He couldn't finish on him. And it was a big flag to me. Obviously I'm a little bit wrong on the finishing. It's been okay, but uh, things like that, I think are really important balancing past and present, you know? Well, whenever you are evaluating these, these players, do you have some personal biases that, that you've noticed? Like for me, I, I'm just out on the big men and, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, but Evan Mobley, I'm out on drafting big men way too high. And, and and that is a personal flaw of my evaluations that I've noticed of just like, I will, I will give guards and wings way more of the benefit of the doubt whenever thinking about how to rate them and how to rank them on my big board more so than big men's. Cause with big men, I, I kind of just hold them to, and I hold against them the previous mistakes that teams have made that uh, whenever drafting big men, do you have any of those kind of biases that, that you get tripped up on? Yeah. I mean, the one that I feel like I've caught, like I probably do that. I just don't know. The ones I've caught myself on are honestly guards that if they are the lead guys and they hold the ball a lot, like I was way out on Peyton Pritchard for that exact reason. 
I thought he had an entire system built around him. I thought he held the ball too long and not all to his fault that he held the ball too long as part of the system, but things like that made me really far out on him just because I didn't think uh, something like that would ever work in the NBA. Cause you know, there's really no guys like that. Unless you're like Luka Doncic, James Harden, kind of LeBron. So I didn't think, you know, Peyton Pritchard is nowhere near the level of a prospect of that. I thought that wouldn't work. I've been wrong. I'll admit that, but generally I am skeptical of guys like that. And you mentioned four-year guys. And so I think that this is also a good question about how much do you penalize older players? Because I, I look at DeMonte Graham and Jalen Brunson, two guys who I, were very, I was very, very high on uh, in their draft classes. And then they get knocked down because of their age, but then they turn out to be really good NBA players, especially Brunson. Do you penalize older players the way that the NBA does? I think that for me, I, I, I penalize them in the sense of I'm always going to skew younger in the top 10 that has that kind of flashy upside. But once you get down to the borderline playoff teams and then the for sure playoff teams, I value a guy who I know, or at least I feel like I know what I'm going to get more so than the upside and the flashiness. That's just a roster to roster basis, obviously. But but what do you do with young, with older players? And how do you how do you value a 19, 18-year-old versus a 21, 22, 23-year-old? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you're talking to the the president of the Desmond Bain fan club. So he was a four-year guy. <laughs> um, I had him, you know, ranked around 15. I thought he could have gone top 10 just because his shooting was elite. So for the most part, unless you have an elite skill, I'm probably going to be pretty out on the on a uh, an older guy going just so high. I think they have a lot of limitations. The Suns have kind of kind of uh, turned me around on that because of what they made work with Cameron Johnson. I thought it was a horrible pick at the time. Um, I mean, I, I think there's value for these guys, especially, you know, if you're you no, know, if you're Oklahoma city, I no offense, but you guys probably aren't winning, going to be competing for, you know, a hard, you know, winning a playoff series next year. Right. So why, what's the benefit of drafting a guy like this year? There's Chris Duarte. who's a 23 year old, probably one of the better prospects in the class, but he doesn't have much room to improve. So I think it's a lot of situational stuff. If you're a team that slips into the lottery just by chance, it might be worth taking an older guy. But um, to answer your question on how I evaluate them differently, I mean, I personally, it's, it's hard because I guess once you get to seniors or so, you kind of look for what they're bringing right away, not what they can add. Uh, that's, that's actually probably a bias I have, whereas younger guys, I'm looking for what they can add not necessarily as much what they can bring now, if that makes sense. For sure. And, and do you have kind of a hierarchy of traits that you look for whenever you're looking at these young players? Like kind of, you know, if this player does not, if any players not have this trait, then I'm going to knock them down a lot because I just value this specific trait uh, coming into the college from the college to the NBA game. Is there a most important trait for you that you look for? So it's probably positional based uh, big men. I think if you can't switch, you're probably in a lot of trouble unless you have an elite skill on offense to outweigh it uh, for wings and guards. You need shooting. Those are just musts in this league. And if you don't have that, how's your basketball IQ and just feel for the game. Those are generally the three areas that I look for. And then you mentioned the shooting there and we've talked about free throw percentage before, you know, I've done it and you've done it now in this podcast, even whenever you're evaluating somebody who might not have the, the college shooting numbers, uh, but they have a very good form. Do you kind of chalk it up to look the college game just as limited to no good spacing, especially on these top tier guys, like how, how much do you judge a player and how can you judge a player 
uh, based on their shot and, and kind of pro- projecting how good they can be as a shooter. Yeah, I take form. Uh, I, I value that pretty highly. I mean, you look at someone like Jemias Ramsey last year is a great example. He had really nice form, shot 40% from three, but only shot like I think he had 67% from the line. Um, so, I mean, I trust his shot to develop in the NBA if he ever gets the chance. So for me, I mean, shot form and man, I, I think if you have a good shot form in one of three point percentage and free throw percentage, I'm willing to overlook the one you don't have more than the other. You know, does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Whereas if a guy who, oh, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Oh, if a guy has, you know, really good numbers, but the form is gross and it's a low release, it's books blockable in the NBA, probably not going to buy it as much. And then this, this last one about evaluating prospects, and, and you might not have the for sure answer yet because I'm not sure where you're at on your draft evaluation, but from what you've noticed so far, and, and this is going to be something that takes years to truly master, but how are you grading and, and evaluating the G League Ignite team? Because I've already noticed for me that I'm giving them a ton of credit, a ton of benefit of the doubt from talking to them, from watching their practices, from watching their games, from interviewing them. I, I'm giving them a lot more credit uh, for what they're doing and not penalizing their flaws as much because they're doing it against a G League competition, against the grown men, against guys who are borderline NBA players. They played against the blue and half that blue roster is now an NBA player. Like I, I, I value what they've done in the G League more so than I value what someone does against Wichita State, for example. That, that's kind of where I've been at. But where have you been at on these G League guys and how you take into account what they've done on the floor compared to maybe a college guy who has a lot more flashy numbers or whatever the case may be, but he wasn't playing against grown men and grown competition. Right. I, so I have a weird stance with the G league. I do think uh, I agree. Like the, I discount the flaws. I don't think I don't really hold it against them as much just because like, I mean, like you said, they're going against stronger guys and everything and more fine tuned players. Um, The one thing I will say though, is a lot of, you know, the G league, they don't play much defense. That's just, they play a little bit of one-on-one defense. If you win, there's not much help. Um, so there, there is stuff with that. And I, I'm a little bit hesitant though, because of that to overpraise the positives because it can just be a little bit inflated. Uh, the one thing I will say in favor of college that might help sometimes is a lot of guys get game planned against, uh, you know, you put Cade Cunningham, for example, is just a prime example of this, you know, teams game plan against him a ton. They center the entire game plan around him. Whereas in the G league, Yes, you know, Kuminga and Green probably were their best players, but they they really don't, like, focus on trapping those guys and taking the ball out of their hands, you know? They, so they don't have to face something like that in the G League, I didn't feel like, at least. And then just the last thing before we get into, like, the actual Thunder players that, that you've watched from college and their overseas careers all the way up until now, the last thing on the draft evaluation standpoint, and, and we're going to have you on to talk more about individual prospects throughout this entire draft process, obviously. We've already talked about that, but just – in terms of evaluating, the one thing that I would say, and you can give your wisdom as well, is that if you're just getting into it, as I think that many Thunder fans are, if you're just getting into it, you're going to have misses and you're going to have guys that you were way too high on or way too low on, and you're going to look foolish at times, but that's all a part of the process. And look, NBA teams look foolish too, so don't be scared to try to get invested in the draft. Because for me, my biggest miss, and you can share your biggest miss too, Richard, if you want to, my biggest miss was Josh Jackson. I thought Josh Jackson was going to be this elite player. I traveled to go watch him play in college because I was that for sure that I was going to watch a budding NBA <laughs> superstar right before my eyes. I just criticized everyone involved with the fact that he was not the number one overall pick. I was that sold 
on Josh Jackson. I thought Josh Jackson was going to be an MVP type of elite player in this NBA. I literally traveled and made my entire family go to a game to watch him play in college. I thought I was going to watch history. I thought I was going to watch the, the next big thing. That obviously has not happened at all. And now we're just happy that he's a somewhat rotational player in the NBA. So that was a huge miss for me. But but you also have some wins along the way. So you can't be discouraged if you do wind up having a miss in this draft class or whatever. But but for you, what has this journey been like for you? And maybe who is your biggest miss that you've had here? You're Josh Jackson. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few. Um, first of all, I mean, kind of adding on to what you said, like, you don't win the draft. You don't like look right or wrong on draft night. That is far and away the biggest, um, biggest misconception. I think that there is out there, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, well, you know, this guy didn't get drafted. I missed. And that's not true at all. There's a lot of undrafted players that do well. Uh, I mean, I thought Nads Reed, I had him as a first round grade and he went undrafted, you know, and he's been, he's lived up to his first round grade. Um, so don't necessarily get discouraged just by what happens on draft night. Like you don't, you know, you don't redraft based on the draft. Uh, draft night itself but my biggest miss I have two uh, so one dates back and I think also comes with my biggest hit at uh, in the same class so in 2011 um, I thought Kawhi Leonard was going to be absolutely amazing I thought the Cavs should take him number two that was my hit now I had an equally opposite terrible miss in thinking Kemba Walker would never be able to play with the NBA you know with the size all that I missed horribly I wouldn't I said he shouldn't have gone lottery like I had all these takes uh, it was it was a dark time for Mavstraft, but more recently, the guy who always stands out. Uh, I know this kind of contradicts what I just said about not letting draft night discourage you, but this one like ruined me for like a day. I was like, dang, how did I miss this so bad? And he's probably not going to live up to the number uh, seventeen ranking I had on him. But Lewis King from Oregon, I thought was for sure going to be a first round steal for somebody. Didn't end up getting drafted. Has uh, been stuck on two ways now for the second year. So that, that's my biggest miss. That's, that's a guy who I was huge on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not over. So not, you know, horribly out, but it's just not promising. Even the experts get it wrong sometimes. Even NBA GMs get it wrong sometimes. Shout out to David Locks, Utah Jazz for drafting Udoka Asabuki after I spent all <laughs> offseason just ripping him to shreds. Uh, but coming up, <laughs> let's talk about the Thunder and talk about how you evaluate these Thunder players as an outside unbiased source. I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at betonline.ag. Betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sport action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL, along with the MLB, are in full swing. In fact, you can still bet on football. You can bet on who will be the top pick in this year's NFL draft. We bet on every single Thunder game by using betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers more than sports, though. They cover awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, the scores, the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportbook experts. Use our promo code at betonline.ag. Use our promo code locked on at betonline.ag to receive that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We're back on Locked On Thunder on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Ryland Styles, joined by Richard Stamen, Mavs Draft on Twitter, and host of the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast, which you can find anywhere you get your podcast from, including the Audacity app. Now, Richard, 
you are unbiased. You had the jokes with me about being Thunder Draft because we are now stealing the <laughs> NBA draft in Oklahoma City, and it's, we're just gonna have all the picks in Oklahoma City. And we might as well move the draft to Chesapeake Energy Arena at this point because they're gonna be from the green room to Chesapeake anyway, so they might as well just get used to it. But you are also not an actual Thunder fan, so you can view this team without the without the blue colored glasses, so to say. Whenever the blue and I say the blue glasses. and orange, yes, sunset <laughs> orange, by the way, it's, it's sunset, not orange, but nonetheless, whenever I say these names, I want you to give me the type of NBA player you see them as. I'm going to rattle off some names to you. You tell me who you think that they're, what, what you think that they're going to be in their career, starter, all-star, bench player, out of the league, whatever the case is that you think of these players whenever I say their names. So let's start now with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. All-star. I think he's uh, he's a, he's going to be at the worst like perennial all star probably every year. That or, is sorry at the worst sorry, per, sorry I'm so that sorry is... I, I missed a word I missed a big word in there at least a borderline like he's going to be at worst like one of those wild card picks like in that discussion at the worst that's like every year he'll be in that discussion. So that's sorry, at the worst he'll be the smart word. guy pick. At the right. worst he'll be that hipster <laughs> NBA media. Hey, let's get SGA to the All Star game. Exactly. You know what? I'll take that. But I, th- I think that that being his floor is a good floor to have for SGA because obviously he's going to get higher than his floor we expect. So that's great for SGA. The next one I'm going to throw at you is Teo Maldon. Uh, I'm stuck. In, I, I think he's going to be a pretty good starter. I, I don't know how else to word it, but he's going to be a good starter. I liked him really? a lot. That's in the draft team, so I'm biased. I'm biased a lot towards him. I just I think his tools combination is just really unique i think that he's a really good player and i think that a role for him that that might be more beneficial and just whenever you're trying to starting to construct this roster with the trades you can make and the draft picks you can make that tail maldon could be like the ultimate sixth man of just there's almost no drop off to your bench unit and that makes you a well-rounded really good team that wins a ton of games especially in the regular season and then a part of that huge heavy playoff minutes and playoff rotation where you're starting to run that three-guard lineup in the playoffs again, the way that you did even last year. I think that Taylor's at worst a great sixth man, as you mentioned, can be that solid starter for you. So that's interesting that you put Taylor in the starting category because I think that Taylor's been a guy that maybe Thunder fans have wanted to not get overly hyped about him and, and, and try to be a little realistic, but to, to hear an outside source saying he can be that starting-level player for a guy you got in just a throw-in trade for Al Horford and – that that's really good. I mean, that 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 is positive for the Thunder. I think to just get him in the in the second round and already start this rebuild before you cash in any of your treasure troves of draft picks that you already have a starting level guard at Tail Malvon. Yeah, and I mean, one other thing on him is like a big reason why I'm so high is I don't see his finishing being so bad ever again. I mean, he shoots like well, he's one of the worst finishers at the rim, and I just don't see that staying. I just I feel like that's a rookie year thing. So that's personally why I'm so high on him. If, if his finishing grows, I mean, he's set. I think that he's shown the ability to get to the rim and it's just shots just don't fall. And whenever he gets to play with SGA and gets to play with, you know, these full-time NBA players again, that'll obviously alleviate some of the pressure from him defensively to help his numbers out a ton. So I like that from tail. I like that. I think that you know, I've been saying his floor is the sixth man. I think that that still is his floor. And then we'll see how much higher off the floor that tail gets this one is the most interesting by far. And, and he's turned into the most interesting player in the NBA, period. Uh, but Alexei Pokashevsky. 
Yeah. So for me, I've always been pretty big on him. I was scared to put him higher than I wanted to uh, on my draft ranking. I think I put him around like 18 or 19, but I, I mean, he had a top three ceiling top, honestly could be number one ceiling in the entire class. So my thing with him is yes. Like, you know, a lot of people will discount him for his horrible production uh, before he went to the G league. But I mean, he's been a whole different player. I mean, you look at, even though his efficiency isn't that great, he's hitting way more shots, way more difficult shots. He's more confident in the difficulty and the free throw percentage is pretty good. Um, so I personally, I think his ceiling is all-star again. I, I think he's a guy who I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get one all-star in there. I just feel like the development curve is so obvious, but like even right now, you know, after a horrible, an absolutely horrible start to the year, he's up to 29% from three, um, at, up to league average since the, since the all-star break. I don't see why he can't get there. I think that with Poku, I, I was obviously terrified to death of drafting Poku on draft night. And that's why you call it a home run swing, because this could have gone disastrous or it could have gone the way it's going right now, which I think the way it's trending right now is better than anyone expected because for, for me at least, and, and you're the expert here, but for me at least, I never would have thought that Poke would be this good this fast because you're right. After the bubble period, he's been a really good NBA player. He's not been a gimmick. He's not been this weird, how do we figure out what kind of player he is? He's been a genuinely good NBA player after the bubble in the G League bubble. It's where I don't think that anyone expected that within his rookie season, especially with the obstacles of this season with no summer league, no training camp, no preseason to speak of. And he's just been hitting the ground running in this season. I think that that gives me a lot more comfortability with this pick because he's already to be playing at an NBA contributing level. So you've turned this home run swing into at least a double in the gap to me. And you still have the potential to come around and score all the way from home or, or yep. second, however you want to use that analogy. But to me, if, if he never gets better than what he is right now, which is borderline impossible, he's at least a quality NBA player that can give you a good look out there and can be a contributor, which that, that was not always his floor on draft night. There was a possibility where he'd be a just absolute swing and a miss. And I think that we can eliminate already, which is surprising, the swing and the miss factor. Do you agree that you can eliminate that factor from Poker that he's at least going to be a hit of some sort, maybe not a home run, but maybe a home run, maybe a single or a double or something to that nature, to where you're at least not going to strike out? Are you there already after you know a little over half a season? Personally, first of all, love the baseball references. Um, but second, yes, I, I'm, I'm 100% there. He's already exceeded his floor of what I saw pre-draft. I mean, I thought the if he had done what he did at the beginning before the bubble for a whole season, I would have – I mean, that was about what I expected. I didn't think he was NBA ready at all. I thought maybe he needed like – because he started in the second – I think it was Greek league. I never saw that coming. Like that was an absolute stunner that he is playing in NBA minutes right now. Like he's way ahead of the curve. 100% it's at least a single, you know, just by being this good in this stretch uh, over the last probably month, month and a half, or I guess month since he's been back in the G League. I've lost track of time, so forgive me on that. But I, I think that it's just an absolute he, – It's he's so much further ahead of the development curves. So yeah, it's a hit. And he's still going to be – right now he is the youngest player in the NBA. Even after this rookie class, he's still going to be one of, one of the youngest players in the NBA. So he's going to get better than this, and, and this is already – a contributing player that none of us, none of us expected right now in year one. So I'm, I am, I've done a full 180 on, on Poku. Cause I was, I was nervous about him. I didn't, we've never seen a player like him before. 
you know, that, that does the things he does on the floor. That is truly a guard at that seven foot kind of big man position. That's not going to be a, a small forward. I, I just can't wait to see what he looks like in two years from now or three years from now, after he gets more and more coaching and more and more ingrained into this system and into this culture in even America, which I think goes under the radar sometimes that he's changing cultures in a pandemic in this random environment and then gets just stronger. I mean, just, just grows. I mean, even non-athletes, like everyone's body changes from 19 to even 21 or 22 or 23. Everyone is growing and, and, and changing the way that they appear to where that's going to naturally happen for Poku, not even to mention that he's also going to get the benefit of having this NBA developmental plan and strength plan and the best or at least one of the best developmental teams in the NBA with the Thunder. So I am just so excited for what Poku could turn into. And I think that I think that it'd be shocking if he ends his career without an all-star appearance. So that all-star level player is exactly what Pogo can be. And I think that Sam saw it first and it'll be interesting to see how they go about building teams around all these players, you know, fitting SGA with Poku, fitting whoever they draft with Poku, fitting all these guys around each other. I think that's going to be so much fun to watch how Sam Pressy does it. The next yeah, player on I mean, this list. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. So, so the, these next players are not as flashy as SGA Maldon Poku. But I do want to get your take on them because I think that Thunder fans can, and myself included, can overinflate what they've done to this point because they are really left to be the only option on, these te- on this team and the only option to go get points and go collect stats to where we can sometimes overinflate what they are. So as an unbiased party, whenever I say Ty Jerome, you think that he'll be what in the NBA? Man, um, low-end bench, honestly. Don't worry about how it's finishing. Just really negates a lot of what he, his strengths are. And just lack of athleticism. I, I don't know. It's a combo that scares me. And then I say Isaiah Roby, who you're familiar with at somewhat with the Mavs, who just <laughs> gave him the biggest second-round contract in NBA history at the time with Isaiah Roby, and then kicked him to the curb for Willie Colley Stein. Isaiah Roby, what do you think of? Uh, I think I think he's a ninth, tenth man. Moses Brown, is he is he legit? Is he a gimmick? What is Moses Brown? I think he's a very quality per minute big man off the bench. So you play him 10 to 20 minutes, you're going to get a lot of value out of that role. I've compared Moses Brown to being Boban to where he's this weird, awkward, you know, 7'2 guy who's, who, who's more mobile than Boban, obviously, but he's mobile, he's a high motor. And in this day and age where we're going small and we're switching and having versatile lineups to where if you throw out Moses Brown, as you mentioned, for 10, 12 minutes and just give the opposition a different look, a weird, wacky look out there and have to deal with Moses Brown, that he can serve a purpose in, in small doses at least. And if he's anything more than that, then then you've again hit a home run on a two-way guy that's that's now on his second two-way contract from Portland, Oklahoma City, and now he's on a full-time NBA deal. Uh, so where Moses Brown, I think, is interesting. I don't think he has starting level potential the way that Thunder fans might think he does right now after after this stretch of games here. And we're seeing him cool off a bit whenever he's facing off a better competition. Uh, and then Tony Bradley, who's been quietly really good for the Thunder. And, and of course, Joel Embiid makes the joke about building around him whenever he's, he's stepping in for Embiid after the injury. What's your read on Tony Bradley as somebody who's probably watched more Tony Bradley than most Thunder fans because he was not always with the Thunder until recently? What do you think Tony Bradley can be, or do you think that he can be anything in the NBA? Yeah, I think 
I think he's kind of like a second or third center. You play him kind of matchup based and it's similar to Moses Brown in that way where, you know, you play him for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and you'll probably get good value, but it's all about the matchup. So I would say probably bench player if that fits that description. And then this last one will be the last thing for the pod that I think will lead us to our last conversation. And that's Sue Mackay Luke, because Sue Mackay Luke has uh, came to Oklahoma city from, from Detroit and has turned into a valuable basketball player, which he was not in Detroit. And he's turned his shooting percentages around a bit in Oklahoma city to where I think that we're seeing Kendrick Williams and Sue Mackay Luke and a lot of players around the NBA shoot the ball a lot better. And how much of that shooting do you believe in and how much of that shooting is just a product of this season, whatever there's limited fans and different sight lines and things like that, because shooting around the NBA is heightened a bit, obviously this year. So what do you view Svi as in his career? And then what do you view and how do you consume shooting numbers this year around the NBA? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do think some of the numbers are a bit inflated just as a whole in the league. I, I don't see that 37%, I think is the league average year for three. I don't see that being sustained. Granted it has been climbing, so it kind of makes sense, but I think it'll drop off a little bit next year, maybe at 36, 36 and a half, which sounds super minor, but I mean, it's a big difference. It's a lot of threes made and compared to, or missed compared to make. Um, so overall, I mean, the three point percentage is inflated. However, uh, I was really, really high on Svi Mikhailu coming out of Kansas. And I think Detroit just didn't know how to use him. So I, I think if you put him around a primary ball handler, he's perfect. He can shoot literally from any angle. He can shoot on the off the screens. He can shoot on the move off his own dribbles. He's really developed that. I think he did that a lot last year in Detroit. Um, and, you know, on catch and shoot, I mean, he's just, his footwork is outstanding. I, I think he's a guy who he shoots no matter where he goes and that role is valuable. Now, I don't know how much value he adds off of it, but if he's a seventh man, eighth man off the bench, uh, or excuse me, coming off the bench, then you're getting really good value as a shooter. I think every single team in the NBA needs that. There you have it. That is an unbiased source on all of your favorite Thunder players uh, as the Thunder have a ton of fascinating decisions to make this season and and this offseason with overturning their roster and continuing this rebuild. Richard, you did a great job of of debriefing everyone on how how to get involved with the draft process. Let them know where they can find your work and consume all of your draft takes. Yeah, I appreciate it. Got, I got caught up in there for a bit. I uh, went down just a lot of uh, old memories on that. That some I did not want to revisit like a uh, Lewis King. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm, I'm on mavsdraft.com. I'm posting more scouting reports. I'm locked on NBA draft. You know, I, I'm going to be doing scouting reports that way too. So if you're, instead of reading, you just want, you know, 10 minute scouting reports and just a lot of guys. Um, that's another way. And then on Twitter at Mapsdraft, I mean, I'm tweeting every single day about prospects. Cannot wait. Loving the new Lockdown NBA Draft podcast. Loving your episodes on there. It has been an awesome addition. And of course, you're great on Twitter at the college game and the NBA game. So give them a follow at Draft. Richard, we'll have you on plenty more times before the NBA Draft. We already discussed doing mock drafts and player evaluations. So I appreciate how gracious you've been with your time. We're locked on Thunder. Make sure you put Thunder back in your Twitter handle, by the way, for the Thunder draft. But nonetheless, thank you for joining again. <laughs> thank you for having me. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on the Locked On Thunder podcast.